Well, friends, happy Monday. Sam Rajofsky here, News Talk 840, KXNT, the What's Right Show, brought to you by Sam and Ash Injury Law, 702-820-1234, because you deserve what's right. All right, over the weekend, (laughs) a local story here in Las Vegas has been thrust into the political debate across the country, in fact, across the world. Uh, put another way, folks, we went viral, and not necessarily in a uh, for a good reason. You're probably aware now what I'm talking about. If you're not, a video surfaced from a crash in Las Vegas from roughly about a month ago. And the video showed that the, well, the, driver of a stolen car apparently deliberately struck a bicyclist. Now, the crash was already in the news. It was described as a hit and run. But the video, of course, changes everything. Now, why does it change everything? It, 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 it well, it, it the, the wanton bloodlust, I don't know how else to describe it, Of these teenagers in the car, I've seen some reports saying there are four in the car. In the video, you can't really tell. There's certainly a driver and one other person who was recording them joyriding in the stolen vehicle, then shows a gentleman on a bike who, according to reports, was a retired police chief from California. And it shows him saying, hit him, hit him. Guy plows, deliberately plows into him. Now, as soon as the video apparently came into uh, came to be discovered people found it online these these disgusting pieces of human debris that did this filmed it and put it on social media that's how we have the video they broadcast to the world what it was that they were doing now i'll get to the rj's coverage in a minute i think Look, a lot of conservatives are voicing their concern, I'll put that mildly, that the media put out an original story on this saying that there was a bicycle crash, vehicle crash, resulting in the death of of a person and are pointing to that headline in the immediate aftermath of this incident as an example of the media trying to bury the lead and hiding information. And folks, I, I've i gone back and forth over the weekend with folks over at the RJ, and I've, I've looked at the timeline here because they did put out a rather defensive piece. I can't blame them on the, 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 the history going through kind of the, the publishing of this, right? So August 14th, the incident happened, and they, they, they covered the initial incident. Then about two weeks later, they updated it to to reflect that this was a deliberate act. The reporter that was covering this, she apparently had been sent the video. She uh, forwarded the video or instructed the source to forward the video to uh, Metro. Metro immediately took steps to arrest, re-arrest the victim and charge him with, uh, with homicide. Now... So, so okay, so well, so a lot of people are saying this is an example of the media 
getting the story wrong. Now, this is an example of the facts coming out slowly. You can't, <laughs> it's only because of the internet and being able to pull out a story from two weeks earlier that you're, well, that, that it's, uh, yes, it, that, 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 the reason you're pulling, yes, because you're able to pull those stories out. Normally, in the old days, you wouldn't go back and retrieve a newspaper that was two weeks old. Stories get updated. So that's, I mean, I'm, def I'm here on the side of the RJ. Um, until I see other information come out or any anyone with definitive proof that they had knowledge of this video prior to the republishing of the story with the more accurate facts, and I'm, I'm going to side with the RJ. And there, I'm sorry, I part ways with Seagal Chatta and others here locally and nationally, honestly, too, Republicans who are screaming at the RJ. All right, now let's get to these, let's get to these pieces of human filth that did this. Imagine you're retired, you move to Las Vegas, you come here to live out the sunset of your life on terms that you have chosen. You're riding your bike and along come two, three, four hoodlums who have stolen a car total reprobates and they deliberately strike you and kill you now imagine your family gets to see this video which no doubt they either have or are well aware of at this point that this video exists the driver apparently 17 years old you know when they talk about doing away with the death penalty for minors I don't know about you, but a painless, a painless death for the driver of this car. I don't care that he's 17. A painless death for him is a punishment too light. If it were up to me, I'd hang him by his legs upside down from the stratosphere. I'm, I, look, folks, I'm a law and order guy. If you haven't figured that out uh, yet and you're appalled by this, please uh, find a new radio show to listen to. Uh, I, I am, I, this is to me, here on the What's Right program, I'll tell you what's right. Holding people accountable for their criminal activity. Here's what else is what's right. Parents out there being goddamn parents. Where the hell were this 17-year-old's mom and dad. You think my, I don't know if they were in high school or just out of high school. I'm going to tell you right now, when my 17, my six, I have a 16-year-old. I know where he is at all times. He is so scheduled and programmed, he doesn't have time. He wouldn't be able to pass gas without his mother or I knowing. And that's how it is. My son, by the way, apparently, there's a point to this, has recently uh, met a young lady and we were having a conversation about it yesterday and her mom is very strict and is kind of a hovering parent. I love it because that's what parents do. By the way, apparently she's a single mom or that's my understanding of it, but she is tough on her daughter and I love it. I love it. I love it. All of it. When do we start holding parents of minor kids responsible 
for their criminal acts. Certainly, the idea of suing this mother or father, whoever is responsible for this degenerate waste of a human being, suing them off the planet is something I would delight in doing. And I say that as a lawyer here in Las Vegas. I'm sorry, folks. I am so emotionally overcome by this. And I'm also angry. And this leaves me with the final point on the story that I, I, I think needs to be said. It's neither here nor there, and I'm sad I have to say it, but the bicyclist apparently was a white man. And the gentleman driving the car, as best as I understand it from media reports and looking at the video, is a person of color. Now, in the America I envision, none of that would be of any relevance. I don't want to live in an America where that's relevant, but taking cues from our mainstream media and from our Democrat overlords, race matters. It's in it's in fundamental to everything is what they tell us. So then, pray tell, why did this story, did it take a month, at least, by the way, two weeks from the police being aware of the video, for this video to get out there and begin to circulate? See, the video is so shocking that I can't imagine that it hasn't circulated because, let's say, it wasn't pro, uh, didn't have probative value, didn't have shock value. I just don't think it was out there. I think it got buried because it didn't fit the mainstream narrative. If a couple of white teenagers drove over in cold blood deliberately an African-American man, we would know all of their names. We would know every detail. We would have protests. Businesses would be burning. Al Sharpton would be front and center. And so the victim here What gets to be forgotten? The family of the victim, they, they, you know, the, the knowledge of this gets to go away just, just because the narrative doesn't match what the media wants. The reason, and I'll say this to the RJ, because I know some of the reporters over there are good people, and I, I know they're pissed that they are getting a lot of negative attention for how the story unfolded, and it's not deserved. I give you that. But they must understand, too, how conservatives and people who have any amount of common sense and know what's up view this and understand that there's an enormous double standard at play here and that, that there's anger about that double standard. Righteous anger, I would add. I got to take a quick break. Sam Marjofsky here, News Talk 840 KXNT. You're listening to The What's Right Show. Folks, I'm sorry. I am absolutely beyond myself upset about this, as no doubt many of you are as well. Don't go anywhere. Be back in a short bit. Sam Rajovsky again here, News Talk 840 KXNT. If you've been in an accident, there's no reason to call a sleazy lawyer. It's not just about the settlement check. It's about representing your interests and your values. So call Sam and Ash at 702-820-1234 or visit samandashlaw.com. Sam Marjofsky here. The What's Right Show is on your place for common sense conservatism Monday through Friday, 1 to 3 p.m. 
Andreas Probst, uh, 64, former California police chief from the city of Bell, it's uh, in the greater Los Angeles area, uh, moved uh, after retiring to Las Vegas in 2009, apparently had some work here, was run down on the 14th of August. Uh, This is a video released over the weekend, or at least went viral over the weekend. First time on my radar after I went off air with Alan Stock on Friday. Uh, saw this video of, of the teenage delinquents deliberately striking him. Here is audio from the video. Just to understand what is at play here, listen to this. Uh, it's not easy to, to listen to, or even worse, actually, to watch it. I can't even. I can't even. That sound you heard was a human life extinguished by a driver and at least three other people, one of which was filming this incident and putting it on social media. Now, I I said I would I would I don't care the kid seventeen, screw it. I'd hang him by like I said, by his by his leg off the stratosphere and let him blood pool in his head for hours. I, I, I am dead serious that if we had the death penalty here in Nevada, it whatever it is, whatever humane punishment is, is it punishment too light for this act? But I also said something about parenting. And isn't it funny that just on the very same day as we are having this conversation, you and I, a report was published, a value survey uh, put together by the King's College in London, the Policy Institute there. They asked adults, this is an enormous survey, took, I think, uh, several weeks, went from, oh, months. They surveyed uh, folks starting in March all the way to September. And here's what they found. Among other uh, important findings, they got to the question of good manners. Good manners. Is it important, serving adults in countries across the world, for children to be taught good manners? Now, you're probably thinking, Sam, what do manners have anything to do with it? Well, I'm... Uh, well, what does, what does vandalism have anything to do with murder or rape or armed robbery? If you understand how the broken windows theory operates, you know that they're all interconnected. You allow little bad behavior, you know, an occasional littering, occasional vandalism, public urination, whatever. You let that go, and pretty soon, bigger crimes follow. And that there's there are statistics to back this up. Now, what would you say among Americans, right? American adults, where would you say the question of of good manners, what value do they place on good manners? Because a country like Egypt, 96%. Mexico, 86%. United Kingdom, we laugh occasionally at the United Kingdom, UK for being woke and whatnot, 85%. Japan, 84%. 
Spain, 83%. China, 84%. We are dead last among the nations surveyed. 52% think that good manners are important to be taught to our kids. Now, we rank high on imagination. That's great. Lots of imagination. That's important. Feelings of responsibility, 59%. Religious faith, 32%. And by the way, speaking of the changes since 1990, so in roughly 22, 23 years, uh, where we've uh, 30, excuse me, 32, 33 years, um, you know, well, I mean, we're 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 down. I mean, it's, what is it? Fifty? What did I say? Fifty-two percent good manners. We were at seventy-four percent thirty years ago. You know, the problem is that if you don't discipline your kids on the small stuff, they will. The chances of them turning into complete degenerates on the big stuff later in life increases exponentially. I hate to tell you this, but we have a societal problem here. We have, we have somehow accepted in our society permissiveness on bad behavior from these little blighter kids. And then we're surprised when we, when we see videos of, 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 of kids walking down the street punching strangers. We go, well, how did that happen? This is a problem, by the way, that government can't fix. Maybe government should get out of the way and start, stop compensating families who are, well, who, who are on, on government support in a, in a way that makes it easier for fathers to shirk their responsibilities to their kids. Maybe we ought to emphasize family unity and do away with the myth that divorce is A-OK and that, you know, that, that single parents, uh, you know, is, is just as good as, a, as, a, as, as two parents in the home. Maybe we as a, a society need to get past this selfishness that we, you know, guys, I hate to break it. Once you bring kids into the world, you have a responsibility for those kids. And so without knowing anything about this, these teenagers, as they're being described, in the car who deliberately struck and killed a neighbor of ours here in Las Vegas, I can tell you that we have a problem in this country. And the problem is a complete lack of respect among our youth. But why would young people have any respect? Adults aren't being taught to have any respect. You can steal, you can loot, you can burn things to the ground, you can act like a total hooligan. And it's all just the fault of society. It's society's fault, and you get a pass. It is no surprise that all the people out there getting a pass on basis of social justice reform and woke thinking on crime and punishment then go on to have kids who are completely off the rails. We are in a death spiral, and this must turn around. How does that happen? We've got an election coming up. Some thoughts on that when we return. Sam Rajovsky here, News Talk 840, KXNT. You're listening to The What's Right Show. 
personal injury law is constantly changing. Uber and Lyft accidents aren't like other cases, but most law firms haven't kept up. Don't trust a new case to a lawyer who's stuck in the past. Call Sam and Ash, 702-820-1234, or visit samandashlaw.com. Greetings and welcome back. The What's Right Show is on, brought to you by a Sam and Ash injury law in a crash. Call Sam and Ash, 702 702- 820-1234 because you deserve what's right. Now, I just a quick aside here. Uh, this is some financial news, but I think it's funny because, well, Birkenstock is going public. They've got an IPO uh, scheduled, which means they're going to be selling shares in their holding company. Birkenstock, of course, makes what I think are some of the most hideous sandals ever conceived of in the history of the world. Uh, But I am told by people, including my wife, that they're immensely comfortable. I think she has, I remember when I met her, see, they were, it was this shoe that was out of style uh, for good reason. It was donezo, right? And I think I met her and she had a couple uh, or a couple pairs of some natty old Birkenstocks worn out they were hippity-dippity shoes, and I would make fun of her, of course, for wearing them, and she'd say, they're comfortable, they're comfortable. And lately, they've made a huge comeback. So uh, people are, you know, what's what's old is new again. So these shoes are, are, are back in the very trendy place, and they're making different styles and whatnot. So, uh, yes, and uh, and my wife has purchased a number of new of these uh, new, Bir- well, at least one or two pairs of new Birkenstocks, and she claims they're better than ever. So, if you see Birkenstocks, know that they are uh, they are valued at a lot of money. Okay, a lot of money. So they have revenue now. By the way, of this is in pounds, uh, or no, excuse me, euros, six hundred forty-four million annual revenue. Wow, unbelievable. Okay, now let's. Let's talk here for a second about Trump's interviews. Yes, uh, last week we, of course, mentioned he sat down with uh, Megyn Kelly. Now he sat down with Meet the Press. And uh, there's one portion of the interview here with Meet the Press that really got a lot of attention. Kristen Welker was the interviewer, and I would describe her, of course, as a typical mainstream media uh, coming in hot on the old Trumpster. And uh, Trump gave, again, this is where... My view differs uh, from a significant number of Republicans out there. Trump gave what I thought was an absolute common sense and correct position on the subject of abortion. And the, the, the response, by the way, to this interview, because of this answer, and also because Meet the Press and Kristen Welker decided to sit down with Trump, has gotten a noisy response from both ends of the spectrum. Let me start with the Democrats. I cannot tell you if I had a if I had a dollar for every reaction I read over the weekend on X, on Twitter, uh, and elsewhere, comments on, on news stories and the like of people complaining, legitimately complaining, how dare meet the press, sit down and normalize the candidacy of Donald Trump. Because they were so beyond, uh, I guess, triggered by the fact that a mainstream media reporter 
sat down with Trump and spoke to him as if he possibly could someday be back in power. Like that was the thing that they got themselves all in a twist over. And my answer to this is, and I'm telling you folks, Trump is closer to being back in power than he ever has been since January of 2021. And if you're, if I'm telling you what, look, that's just, that's realville here. He is, he's on a roll. And, you know, as, as the pressure piles on to Biden, but he shows no signs of stepping down. And he's got that pesky Kamala Harris problem, more on that uh, in a little bit. Uh, I, I don't, you know, Trump's got, Trump's got some, some wind in his sails and never mind the indictments, it's the old hat. It's already baked into the cake, so to speak. So the, the thing that has conservatives all, uh, all uh, fuming is, is the fact that he gave this, uh, what they're describing as a, as a soft answer on abortion. Now, before I get into Trump's answer, uh, uh, let, let's talk about abortion here for a minute. Those of you who are newer to the What's Right show and haven't heard my position on this in the past, let me just, for the sake of pissing everybody off too, uh, let me get uh, let me get this out here. Um, all right, I think that abortion is awful. I think it's uh, a terrible practice, and I am very I, I consider myself very fortunate. And this is I'm not trying to word this carefully. I'm just trying to make this uh, a thought, thoughtful statement. I consider myself very fortunate that I have never had to be in a decision, in a place to make a decision like that, right? Now, I'll tell you what's black and white for me. It is obvious that a late-term abortion is barbaric. End of sentence. And ought to be outlawed. Now, where there's gray area is, in terms of weeks, right, and viability, now, I, I just I, I think as a general rule, a fetus that is viable and has a chance at life outside of the womb ought to be treated differently under the law than one that isn't capable of that. Your argument that it's your body, your choice goes away if the child can be delivered and 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 live, even if with assistance, live or have a chance at life outside of your body. I mean, that's, that's just, those are just my general thoughts. Now, I, as a practical matter, and this is where I just part ways with a lot of, of the crazies on this. As a practical matter, in all of the things that are going on today, on the 18th of September, 2023, all of the issues, the economy, our geopolitical safety in the world, China, nuclear war, and the possibility of it. I don't know, let's say the whole barbaric practice of allowing 13-year-olds to chop off their genitals after speaking to, you know, one, you know, having one 40-minute session with the crazed left-wing lunatic. I can continue on and on. The things that are at stake I am not a single issue voter. 
Now, if I ever were to run for office, I, I, I'll tell you what I'm – and I just on the record, this is why I will never win as a Republican anywhere because I won't get through the primaries. Because I, for example, support, I, I, as a practical matter, protection for life after a certain point. And it's not – DeSantis is crazy. It's not six weeks. Uh, there are people who don't even know that they got pregnant in that period of time or that they are pregnant. That's not reasonable. So I'm with a majority of the country that believes uh, that there have to be some restrictions at the upper end. Here in Nevada, it's 24 weeks. In France, I think it's 15, 14 or 15. It's somewhere in there. That's the zone. I mean, you got to protect life that has viability outside of the womb. And here in Nevada, 24 weeks is 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 aggressive, and but it's it's reasonable and you can make a defense of it in practical terms so trump gives this answer and he's getting a lot of flack for it but the thing about it is is that he's giving the answer in my view he's giving the answer that is the most mainstream republican answer out there this is the answer that gets republicans elected in the general election and saves us from having another four years of someone like kamala harris or like Gavin Newsom, or like Joe Biden, what's left of him. And if you're one of those people that says it's it's pro-life or, or nothing for me, and you're willing to sink it in the general election and rather have Democrats in charge of everything, then you're not a serious person. I, I'm sorry, it's not a serious position to take. And I understand all the morality of it. I do, trust me, I do. But there's a compromise here that has to be made. So with all that said, Trump's doing this. And uh, so this is how it begins. Kristen Welker, meet the press, uh, you know, asks him uh, the, the, the typical classic left-wing media layup question. How is it acceptable that you're putting, you're putting lives at risk, women's lives at risk? How is it acceptable in America that women's lives are at risk, doctors are being forced to turn away patients in need, or risk breaking the law? A little bit of a long answer. I hope you have time. I hope you have time. Okay. I'm here for so as long you as have you have. So you have Roe v. Wade. For 52 years, people, including Democrats, wanted it to go back to states so that states could make the right. Roe v. Wade, I, I did something that nobody thought was possible, and Roe v. Wade was terminated, was put back to the states. Now, people, pro-lifers, have the right to negotiate for the first time. They had no rights at all. Yeah, so now she obviously goes apoplectic over this and, and says that that's a radical position, and Trump fights back with this. The radical people on this are really the Democrats that say after five months, six months, seven months, eight months, nine months, and even after birth, you're allowed to terminate the baby. Democrats aren't saying that. I just have to Democrats are not saying that. Of course that's they do. not true. You have a Virginia governor, previous governor, who said after the baby is born, you will make a determination and if you want, you will kill that baby. But the Mr. baby President, is now born. Democrats writ large are not talking about that. Only 1% of late-term abortions happen and always in okay. this state of They crisis. are the radical people. With Hillary Clinton, when we had the debate, I made a statement, rip the baby out of the womb in the ninth month. You're allowed to do that, and you shouldn't be allowed to do that. Again, no one and, and is again, arguing listen, for that. That's look, not a part of anyone's platform, look, Mr. President. The Democrats are able to kill the baby after birth. Let me talk to Nobody you. Nobody wants that. That Democrats don't want that. 
Now, why can't they see they are the radicals? The Dems are the radicals. And Trump's doing the right thing here by painting them into that box and explaining how he, as a candidate for president, is carving out a reasonable position. And folks, uh, by the way, I've got some receipts on this. He's absolutely right with his assessment here of what the Democrats want. Uh, and and I'll play that for you here after the break. But but I'm I'm just I'm letting you know that this is the right approach. It continues and it only gets better. Don't go anywhere. You want to hear this. You want to know what's going on and why it matters. I'll deliver all of that here on the What's Right Show News Talk 840 KXNT. Yeah, folks, listen. Uh, Trump's doing a, a good job here. I I, I can't. I can't lie about this. Sam Rajovsky, News Talk 840 KXNT. He's uh, going on with the mainstream media. He, of course, has no problems uh, doing hostile interviews. Uh, it's very much in Trump's wheelhouse to do that. And in uh, sit down with the meet the press over the weekend, uh, the issue of abortion comes up. And this is usually where the media is very successful at getting Republicans to put themselves into a corner uh, that then is defining. And because it's a single issue that a lot of people vote on, right and left, creates enormous amount of polarization and honestly, folks, loses Republicans' votes. That then results in a whole variety of crazy policies coming into play. Look here and let, let, me, let me give you a practical example of what I mean. You know, we were on Friday, we were at uh, the uh, Greek Food Festival, Alan Stock and I. By the way, great to meet many of you there. It was really a lot of fun. But I was there and I was, we did our, our show from, uh, my show here from one to three. Alan was on with me and we had our lieutenant governor on. Now, we're very lucky in Nevada, in spite the fact that we lean left, we lean blue. We have a Republican governor and a Republican lieutenant governor. Now, in talking to Stavros Anthony, going through all the bills, those of you who listen to the show, you know that we have a, you know, the, Demo- the Dems in the state are, you know, they've got a majority in the House, excuse me, in the Assembly, in, in uh, the upper chamber in the Senate. So the legislature is controlled by Democrats. The only reason that we were able to stop some of their insane agenda that would have turned us into California light is because we got a Republican voted into office. We got Lombardo. And when we were talking to, uh, to Stavros, he flat out said, look, if we don't keep, if we don't keep it at bay, if the, if the numbers for the Dems go up, then they have a, then they have a supermajority and they can, they can override the governor's veto. At which point, guess what? All that stuff happens. But I digress. The reason it's stopping right now is because we have a Republican governor in place with a veto pen. He has the veto power. Now, how did he get elected? He didn't, he, he, he has personal views on abortion, but he made a campaign promise that he would leave our abortion laws as they exist in the state of Nevada in place. He made that promise. Does that compromise him as a Republican candidate? Well, for some people it does. But that's a dumb position to take. Because imagine what, what else would happen with our state. By the way, we would have Sisolak in office uh, or, you know, because I, I'm telling you, a, 
just not fly a pro-life candidate in Nevada, and 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 that would be that. We would be on a uh, accelerated march to become just like California, minus the beach, and Silicon Valley, and you know Disneyland. So there it is. All right. Trump gives this answer, and by the way, in the answer that he's giving, he's talking about how Democrats are the extremists, how they're the ones that want to kill babies uh, that are that are partially born. And this is the media, right? Jen Psaki, everybody, they all want to say, no, 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 this is nothing going to happen. Listen, here is Ra- Ralph Northam, the former governor of, uh, of Virginia, the guy that Trump references in this interview. This is him talking about abortion. I can tell you exactly uh, what would happen. Um, the infant would be delivered. Uh, the infant would be kept comfortable. Uh, the infant would be resuscitated if, if that's what the uh, mother and the family desired. And then a discussion would ensue between the physicians and the mother. So, so I think this was really blown out of proportion. Uh, but again, we want the government not to be involved in these types of decisions. We want the decision to be made by uh, the, the mothers and their providers. And, and this is why Julie, that legislators, most of whom are men, by the way, shouldn't be telling a woman what she should and shouldn't be doing with her body. Uh, Sorry, if there's a breathing infant that was delivered and you're making a you're debating whether to kill that child, that is not a choice related to your body. I don't know. These people are they're crazy. That is an example of a crazy position. These people are murderers. I don't know how else to put it. Now, six weeks, what DeSantis uh, did in Florida, I, that's, that's, that's ridiculously low. You got to give people time, make a decision, do some testing. The, the, you know, the, the, I'm sorry. So there's a, you know, you know, now Trump gets pressed whether he would do a 15-week ban, calls out DeSantis in this. Um, but, but listen to this. Uh, I'm not going to say I would or I wouldn't. I mean, DeSantis is willing to sign a five-week and six-week ban. Would you support that? You think I, that I goes think what he far? did is a terrible thing and a terrible mistake. But we'll come up with a number. But at the same time, Democrats won't be able to go out in six months, seven months, eight months and allow an abortion. And by the way, he says that this is a 50-50 issue or somewhere close to that, that the country's pretty evenly split on some of this stuff. Uh, and, and, and here's how he puts it. He's getting a lot of flack, by the way, from conservatives for this. It's pretty much 50-50. It's a 50-50 issue. Amazing. Uh, If you look at the charts, it's been 49-51. It's been like that for many years. Goes both ways. I was able to do something which gave at least pro-life people a voice. Now it's going to work out. Now the number of months will be determined. And you're going to have something where everybody comes together. Does it bother you, though, that women say their lives are being put at risk? Do you feel you bear any responsibility? Because as you say, you are responsible. What's going to happen, this is an issue that's been going on for a long time, and it's a very polarizing issue. Because of what's been done and because of the fact we brought it back to the states, we're going to have people come together on this issue. Yeah, and by the way, um, Trump then goes on to say, right, that the GOP is very bad about talking about abortion, um, and uh, and and he and he's right about this. I, listen to this. Democrats don't want to see abortion in the seventh month. Okay, I speak to a lot of Democrats. They want a number. There is a number, and Republicans should go out and say the following. Because I think the Republicans speak very inarticulately about this subject other than certain parts of the country you can't you're not going to win on this issue but you will win 
on this issue when you come up with the right number of weeks, because Democrats don't want to be radical on the issue. Most of them, some do. They don't want to be radical on the issue. They don't want to kill a baby in the seventh month or the ninth month or after birth. Now, I'm going to set aside this conversation about abortion now to point out an obvious fact. Trump is already pivoting to the general election. He is talking in terms of a general election candidate, and he's focused on it to win. Take note, people. It's on. Sam Rajovsky, News Talk 840 KXNT. You're listening to The What's Right Show. Back after this. If you've been in an accident, there's no reason to call a sleazy lawyer. It's not just about the settlement check. It's about representing your interests and your values. So call Sam and Ash at 702-820-1234 or visit samandashlaw.com. Sam Rajovsky here, Nevada's favorite recovering Californian. Monday through Friday, 1 to 3 p.m., the What's Right show is on I just uh, got a nice email here I want to share with you from Donna listening here in Las Vegas. Uh, She writes, thank you for having the guts to say what I'm sure a lot of people were thinking about the juveniles that deliberately hit and killed the retired policeman that was on his bike. Uh, She also writes that she's never written a radio host before about something, but uh, that this matter here deserved attention and... um, her response, Donna, thank you for listening. I appreciate your words of support. They mean the world to me. They truly do. And I just responded uh, to your email personally. Um, you, my email, by the way, sam at samandashlaw.com. Sam at samandashlaw.com. You can please email me anytime you've got a comment or concern. And I respond to criticism too. I, you know, listen, uh, we aren't always going to agree about everything. Uh, I can... I do this show. This is this is what I truly think and what I truly believe. And the beauty of this country, the beauty even within our own conservative movement is that we can have disagreements on some points. And those disagreements, uh, folks, uh, particularly will be a little stronger as we go through uh, as we go through the uh, this process of the primaries. You know, I, I, I said here at the end of the last segment, top of the hour, uh, getting into the outro, I said Trump is preparing his campaign for the general election. That's why he's pivoting. He's not being as extreme. He's mellowing out. He's taking uh, more mainstream positions. And I see a lot of uh, conservatives out there just befuddled by this. I, you know, understand that he's, if if anything, I mean, if nothing else, he's a, certainly a, a, a uh, smart tactician and he has keen political senses so you know i'm just telling you what i see now is he my preferred candidate all things considered um you know i have had a number of you email me this so i i'm i'm gonna can i give you an honest answer to this okay it depends on the day because listen i i voted for trump twice and i'll vote for him uh you know, if he's the general election candidate, I'll vote for him again. I I think one thing for me will it'll be it'll depend on um, you know I I'm really excited to see who he who he picks for a a, a um, vice president. I mean, can I just be honest? Back in 2016, I was not enthused by Mike Pence. W- were any of you excited about Mike Pence? I mean, anybody? 
I know of zero people who thought, oh, this Mike Pence guy is great. The only thing that Mike Pence did is he was sort of a kind of a stabilizing figure. You know, he was, you know, this this married to this one lady forever and ever and conservative, Christian conservative guy. And I guess Trump needed some of those bona fides back then to get the support of the evangelicals. But, you know, he doesn't need that anymore. He's got his own brand. So I, I think what he needs to do is pick somebody who, who could, gosh forbid something happened to him, pick up and run with the presidency, which is what Biden doesn't have. He's got Kamala Harris who will laugh our way into oblivion. So do I like, I, you know, I, yeah, I mean, I, 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 I certainly, I certainly will tell you this. I think he can win the general election. That's the most, that is the most absurd statement some, some of my friends think I could possibly make. But if, if you don't, if you really truly think that Trump cannot win in November of 24, you're not paying attention. Now, I always say this, the big caveat, the asterisk to all of this is, that's a long ways away. You know, we're a year and, uh, you know, two months away. So it's, that's a while, that's an eternity. A lot can happen. But as it stands right now, uh, he's he's firing on all cylinders, and he's and he's slowly returning into kind of the mainstream media coverage, and he's doing well, and he's presenting himself well, and he's he's playing the role of statesman. And I think, I think in 2016 to break through, he had to be, he had to capture people's attention and be crazy. You know, with the put downs and the, you know, the, the, because he, he was a crowded field, you know, 16 people on stage and, and he had to, he had to take out the Marco Rubios and, and the Jeb Bushes and the, the Ted Cruz's. He doesn't have to do that now. So he, you know, he's starting, it, to me at least, it seems that he's starting to pivot into general um, election mode, general campaign mode. And he's, he's, he's definitely, look, I mean, he he's not out there. He's not being he's not being his his former wild self. So that's something to take note of. Now people listen. People change, right? And they they mellow out. Some people, for example, like Russell Brand. I have to bring, I have to bring this up. One of the things I do when I'm doing the show live is I sit here during the breaks and I listen, you know, to the station feed. And you know, we get CBS News here. I got to be careful here. I don't want to get myself into hot water with management, but I don't you kind of appreciate how you, you listen to a, uh, I think, a common sense conservative guy like me and then have to listen to a liberal's take on the news? I mean, it's just, it's laughable. So one of the things that here, I'm sitting during the break and I'm, I'm listening to the report in a very matter-of-fact kind of way that it's almost like a good thing that all these people are abandoning Russell Brand now that these allegations have come forward about sexual assault, serious sexual assault, assault allegations. So his agency has left him and, and, and his, his promoters have left him and all these people have left him. And, um, uh, okay, so and I, I'm listening to this and I'm going, but, but wait, nothing has been proven. Nothing. 
the craziest part of this is that, uh, you know, by the way, there was, I, I just read today that Scotland Yard received uh, some sort of, I guess they called it a credible report of of rape charges back in, or assault charges back in uh, 2003, or a claim of that, which they investigated, did not, clearly did not result in anything. So I'm, you know, I'm, I'm here, I'm sitting here and I'm going, I, you know, an allegation is just an allegation. Here are the three and only three possibilities, okay? Everything that the women that have come forward that they're saying everything is true. Some of it's true, some of it's not true, or it's all false, okay? And I would say as a side note to the, to the third thing, if, they're, if it's all false, meaning it doesn't rise to the level of a criminal assault. It's boorish bad behavior that they have exaggerated and, and turned words around and interject, you know, you know, conversations that, that didn't occur to add context and make it seem that these acts were in fact, you know, criminal violent uh, assaults. And let me be clear, what, what is it, let me, first of all, let's talk about what an, what an actual assault is, right? Uh, even if you take the sex piece out of it, a harmful or offensive touching of another without privilege or consent. Consent, very important. So I, I take that seriously. Consent also within the, the circumstances of any kind of sexual contact, very important. I agree that no means no. I'm just not saying here that based on the evidence, it's I'm ready to convict the guy. And I wonder, I do wonder why these women have not gone forward and filed police reports. Maybe they have. And maybe the the police didn't fi find enough evidence. Listen, if there if there wasn't enough evidence to forward this to a prosecutor, then there isn't enough evidence to write an expose about it. I'm sorry. Now we come back. Uh, let me tell you, I, I I know the the by the way the the, the conservatives out there, uh, you know, they like that Brand is fighting big pharma and he's. Kind of a RFK Jr. type of type of type of person, you know. He's he's fighting establishment stuff, and so they like him. And um, let me let me play what uh, what 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 Brand said. And then there's interesting video too that came out from a a woman that was contacted by the Channel Four people, and uh, and she did not have a narrative that fit what they were saying. And so they what what happened is they didn't they didn't publish it. They didn't even want to talk to her. And it's that kind of stuff that makes me doubt the credibility of the story. Look, some of it or all of it could be true. But at this point, to just convict this guy in the court of public opinion is, for me, I think completely unacceptable. And we as a society need to move past this standard of you know guilty until proven innocent. Absolutely unacceptable, should not do this. Sam Rajovsky here, News Talk 840 KXNT. You're listening to The What's Right Show, and this hour is brought to you by Sam and Ash Injury Law in a crash. Call Sam and Ash, 702-820-1234, because you deserve what's right.
Sam Marjofsky here, News Talk 840 KXNTI. am your host of the What's Right Show, Monday through Friday, 1 to 3 p.m. Reach me, Sam, at samandashlaw.com. Sam at samandashlaw.com. I am, well, listen, I am, uh, my position on this Russell Brand story is that allegations are just allegations. You don't just automatically believe an accuser and our constitution here in the U.S. I understand that some of these charges are coming from outside of the country. Some of these uh, alleged assaults occurred in Great Britain, although some happened here in L.A. uh, or here in the U.S. over in L.A. Uh, Look, but the standard exists for a reason. You can accuse somebody of, of anything. But then there is a process, which we call uh, constitutional kind of due process, that you you that is is in place to establish whether or not the allegations are in fact true, and the charges are justified. So none of that's happening. Here was Russell Brand's reaction, by the way, to this, as, as it was clear over the weekend that this expose was going to be published. Listen to this. Amidst this litany of astonishing, rather baroque attacks are some very serious allegations that I absolutely refute. These allegations pertain to the time when I was working in the mainstream, when I was in the newspapers all the time, when I was in the movies. And as I've written about extensively in my books, I was very, very promiscuous. Now, during that time of promiscuity, the relationships I had were absolutely always consensual. I was always transparent about that then, almost too transparent. And I'm being transparent about it now as well. So now he says that it's because of him being open with the fact that he was a man whore. You know, so I'm just trying to, you know, tell you what he's sum it up in a in a word or in a phrase he was a promiscuous hollywood you know star guy um that that now is causing this thing to blow up to see that transparency metastasized into something criminal that i absolutely deny makes me question is there another agenda at play particularly when we've seen coordinated media attacks before, like with Joe Rogan, when he dared to take a medicine that the mainstream media didn't approve of. And we saw a spate of headlines from media outlets across the world using the same language. I'm aware that you guys have been saying in the comments for a while, watch out, Russell, they're coming for you. You're getting too close to the truth. Russell Brand did not kill himself. I know that a year ago there was a spate of articles. Russell Brand's a conspiracy theorist. Russell Brand's right wing. I'm aware of news media making phone calls, sending letters to people I know for ages and ages. It's been clear to me, or at least it feels to me, like there's a serious and concerted agenda to control these kind of spaces and these kind of voices. And I mean my voice along with your voice. Now, what's fascinating here is that a few young women took to the airwaves, or to social media at least, to say that they too were contacted for the story but didn't have much to add or say that their encounters with with Russell Brand were... Uh, friendly and fine, um, and 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 by the way, uh, if you are to believe this one particular woman who has receipts and is showing, you know, her exchanges with the with the reporters, uh, they weren't that interested in her story because she didn't have anything negative to say. Listen, um, I actually know who this is about, and I have the receipts. I was contacted in June by a journalist uh, regarding a video I made uh, about a certain celebrity and a weekend that we shared together. 
The video is kind of viral. Uh, it's on my page somewhere if you want to go see it. And that certain somebody was, as most of you will be aware, Mr. Brand. They weren't going to use my story because it didn't fit the narrative for their documentary because he wasn't an asshole to me. <laughs> but here are some of the messages. Obviously, I will take out the person's name and stuff. We had a phone call. She contacted me for more information and I didn't contact her back because I kind of felt like it would be mean. Anyway, there you go. Put your bets on. It's a documentary about the one and only Mr. Russell Brand. And this is, by the know. way, what this is, by the way, folks, this is um, interesting because, you know, if you're doing a balanced piece, if you're a journalist writing about allegations and you contact people and they say, no, everything was fine. I mean, yeah, I mean, he we had fun and we had a fling for a weekend. Maybe he, you know, cheated on his girlfriend or then wife or whatever the story is. But he was respectful with me and it is nothing like that. You're obliged morally, I think, and, and ethically to print that. Here's our allegation. Now, some say X, Y, and Z, but it didn't come out in the Telegraph piece uh, in the, um, and, in the, and in the Channel 4 uh, story. So it's, you know, th this is, they're just not interested if it doesn't fit the narrative. So to me, this is starting to, you know, uh, kind of confirm what we already know about the mainstream media is how they operate on some of this stuff. So I'm just, we'll follow the story and see where it goes. Um, but I, I definitely, uh, again, there, there may be now some of these women who, women who are now going to the police after the fact um, for incidents that happened, you know, 15, 20 years ago, uh, seems a little odd to say the least. All right, when we come back here after the break, I, I got to, I, I have been saying, folks, for a while now that the whisper campaign against Biden will pick up the minute that the left thinks that they risk losing the election. I also stand by what I've said from the beginning here is that, you know, Biden was elected uh, he was put in as the Democrat nominee, you know, with a little helpful push from the establishment. And he was he was always disposable from the very beginning. He was always there to win, to be the perfect anti-Trump Trojan horse candidate to, you know, the nice old guy, not a radical zealot Democrat, but a nice old doddering Uncle Joe type to win over voters who think, you know, thought at the time that Trump was too extreme and too wild and too unpredictable, somebody who wanted a bit of a snooze fest. And on that basis, with a little bit of help from certain states and precincts, Biden won the race. And now that he was in, they always thought that Kamala Harris was going to be the, the person to, uh, to uh, replace him. Now, the fact of the matter is she isn't, and we've covered that extensively, uh, mentioning even recently some, I would say, less than even tepid endorsements of her continuing in her present role. But that's not the point. The point is that the news that's out there now, there are people in the mainstream media, left-wing reporters, people who have carried water for Biden, who are now going out and even fact-checking Biden. And people are coming to me and say, Sam, can you believe the news that 
the 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 left of CBS and and other mainstream media outlets fact checking Biden and, and and criticizing Biden, and and I look, these people are ideologues, but they're not blind, they're not deaf, they're not stupid. They've had this information on Biden all along, and I believe that they were planning on using it a lot sooner. So the focus becomes on the why now. You've got to kind of read between the lines and see why this is the pivotal moment. And what does that mean for the Democratic race for nominee in the coming weeks and few months? Sam Rajovsky, News Talk 840. I'll get into all of this when we come back from the break. This hour brought to you by Sam and Ash Injury Law because you deserve what's right. Personal injury law is constantly changing. Uber and Lyft accidents aren't like other cases, but most law firms haven't kept up. Don't trust a new case to a lawyer who's stuck in the past. Call Sam and Ash, 702-820-1234 or visit SamAndAshLaw.com. Well, folks, this is fun. I enjoy our couple hours each weekday that we have together, 1 to 3 p.m. here on the What's Right Show. Sam Rajovsky here, yes, uh, host of the program, also local attorney here in Las Vegas. Uh, Grateful, um, as always, to be here. So I am looking at this, all of these different, well, we'll call them flashes, uh, that are in, in, in their own, I guess, independent context, just that, but taken together, a rising indicator that perhaps the media is no longer willing to carry water for Joe Biden. Let me give you an example of just such a criticism. Uh, Daniel Dale, who is a Canadian journalist, he's always on CNN. He was, uh, I would say, what would they call him? Donald Trump's top fact checker back in 2016. Just kind of made a name for himself. Well, he said this, but really that. And he, he was just obsessed with Trump, right? So here, uh, believe it or not, he's now refocused his attention on the current commander-in-chief. And this is last week on CNN. I I didn't play this last week. I want to get it to it now because I have a point to all of this. Here is Daniel Dale uh, talking about Biden's proclivity to fib. This president has a pattern at this point of either inventing or embellishing stories about his own past, his biography. He did it three times in one speech last month alone. Uh, He claimed he had witnessed a bridge collapse in Pittsburgh when he actually showed up about six hours later. He claimed that his grandfather had died just days before he was born himself at the same hospital. In fact, his grandpa died more than a year before in a different state, not, not the same hospital. And he also repeated a favorite false story that I and others have debunked over and over again about a supposed conversation with an Amtrak train conductor he was friends with who was actually deceased at the time the conversation would have had to take place. And it, it by the way, continues. It's, it's, it's voluminous. This is on CNN. And that's not all. There are some more serious ones, in, in my view. Uh, previously in his presidency, he claimed at one point he'd been arrested during a civil rights protest when, in other versions of the story, he just said an officer had taken him home uh, from a protest. He said he had visited the, the Pittsburgh synagogue where worshippers were killed in a 2018 mass shooting. In fact, he'd actually spoken to the rabbi uh, but, never, but never went. 
Um, and he, he's made a whole bunch of others, too. Uh, he said at one point, Republicans like to bring this up, he said that he used to drive a tractor-trailer, used to drive an 18-wheeler. Never happened. The White House later clarified he used to drive a school bus at one point for, as, a, as a job, briefly. So whatever his intentions, whether it's you know, foggy memory about stuff that's going on decades ago or deliberate embellishment, this is an unfortunate pattern that keeps coming up again and again with Joe Biden. Well, Here's I want to make an important point to all of the conservatives out there celebrating this seeming breakthrough, this vision suddenly, this uh, uh, epiphany that CNN is having. I like to point out that they're still not getting into any of the meteor stuff. Right? There's there's nothing here about talking to Hunter about their business dealings. Nothing about Hunter not making money off of China. Nothing about classified documents. Nothing about, you know, his, uh, you know, his Ukrainian uh, entanglements. So, and on and on, right? I mean, there are some, these are just the lies that honestly don't matter. And they were always out there. Joe Biden is a plagiarist and a serial fabulist. We've known this forever, and so have all the people on the left. They've just hidden it for so long as he was useful. So I read this as a first salvo, a gentle nudge to Biden that he cannot rely on them, right, to carry water for him. This is, by the way, why the Biden White House last week issued a memorandum to the media. It was like sort of like a papal bull. Imagine this. The Pope comes out himself, Joe Biden, the head of the Democratic Party, talking to the Democrat media, telling him, you need to investigate the House Republicans. You need to stop focusing on me. You need to. I mean, that's that's kind of what it said. And and the media kind of shrugged their shoulders and laughed because they're they're increasingly beginning to see him as a lame duck. Now, what what effect does this have on the race moving forward? Well, this is, that's the question. Because I don't think he's showing any signs of wanting to bow out. And I think he can hang on. And I think, um, I, I think the reason that he can't, it's funny. I've thought about this a great deal. See, he's, he's, he made a terrible decision. Perhaps the worst decision in the last, I don't know, 100 years, certainly in modern time, of any candidate for president, he picked the absolute worst vice president. So when he selected Kamala Harris, uh, well, it was part, he made a promise, of course, for an, a pivotal endorsement uh, during the primary, and, and he promised you know, a woman of color. And he picked her because she was in the in the race and she'd had some degree of following and there were a number of Democrats that were absolutely besotted by her. Now Kamala Harris has fallen apart completely, and I promised I was gonna get to, to get to this because it's 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 pivotal to the analysis of what happens moving forward. Joe Biden simply cannot get rid of Kamala Harris. And that's conventional wisdom. I think a lot of people are saying the same thing now out there. And in fact, uh, conservatives and liberals are saying the same thing. The liberals are saying he can't get rid of her because that would be an affront to his 
uh, promises on on race and treating black women with respect. And I mean, Sonny Host and other people have made comments about this. So you have that. Conservatives, of course, you know, recognize the fact that he's made a deal with the devil. No, no, Kamala is not the devil. The devil is the DEI, you know, identity politics uh, wing of the Democratic Party, significant wing of the Democratic Party. And the deal with the devil is he catered to them. And now you can't backtrack on it. But I keep thinking that this conundrum, if you will, that Biden's got himself into with the, with the vice president. He doesn't even like her, by the way. Nobody in his administration on his side of the office likes her. They find her obnoxious. They privately complain about her. Can't get rid of her. But in turn, it also makes it a little tricky for Dems to get rid of him. Because if they dump Joe, if they force his hand and boot him from the party, well, then she's the one that is the rightful heir to step up and be the nominee. No. But they all know she's incompetent. She all, they all know it's the worst kept secret that she's a complete moron. So they don't want her either. And Biden's a lot more manageable. So there, this is a this is a real standoff. And what happens in a standoff? As a general rule, the status quo prevails, no matter how dysfunctional uh, it may be. So I, you know, I, I, it's to the to. I know I go back and forth because there's always changing information, and I'm always exercising this brain of mine to understand what's going on and and take all the little bits and pieces of information that I get and synthesize it into something, you know, that, that is, you know, that's, that's real. And I could see a situation where the entire party dysfunctionally maintains the current ticket going into the general election of 2024 simply because nobody wants to pull the trigger and all other options are bad options. And I give you this as an example. Let's just say for a minute, Biden steps down because he's been, you know, it's obvious that the media's wanting to dump him and he bows out and takes the deal. He's going to want to select somebody. The party is not going to want Kamala Harris. They can't run Kamala. Kamala Harris would, would lose to a, a fence post. So what are they going to do? They're going to put somebody else in. Do you know how many people in the Democratic Party, a significant number, I would say 30 40%, are going to be absolutely enraged by the dumping, the unceremonious dumping of Kamala Harris? There's no dirt on her. I mean, you know, she's not done anything. She just laughs hysterically when it gets awkward. But I'm telling you, a significant portion of the Democratic Party would lose their ever-loving minds if Kamala Harris is, is dumped. Because that's what would happen if, let's say, we would have someone like Gavin Newsom come in and take over. Now, you may say, Sam, you're, you're splitting the, you know, the tea leaves a little, cutting them a little too fine. Maybe. But that is my argument for why status quo prevails and, and Biden, in spite of these attacks, goes full force into the general. And that's why you're hearing he's fibbing about his relationship with an Amtrak train conductor. That doesn't really matter. And you're hearing things about his age. Oh, he's too old. And they're, they think that maybe it'll save them if Trump runs and, you know, they're, they're uh, you know, comparably, you know, aged. Of course, 
Never mind the fact that it is the policies that are deeply, deeply unpopular with the American people. The economy is not in good shape. The world is on fire. And the president is cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. Sam Urchofsky, News Talk 840 KXNT, The What's Right Show. We'll be back after this. You know, Biden uh, can't be despairing quite uh, so much just yet because there are people supporting him still in the mainstream media. Sam Rajofsky here, News Talk 840 KXNT. Um, And the calculus, I think, folks, is that the Dems are starting to realize that the likelihood of Trump as a nominee on the Republican side is stronger than ever. And they still think in a somewhat diluted way that they can win this easily. Now, how, how elections transpire, how they win, I, look, a lot of moving pieces, but easily. I wouldn't describe it as easily uh, under any circumstances. But this prompted Jonathan Capehart uh, on MSNBC to, uh, well, deliver this kind of full-throated uh, defense of Joe Biden. Have a listen. Yes, President Biden is 80 years old. An 80-year-old presiding over an economy where wages are up, unemployment is at record lows, and job creation has climbed past a record 13.5 million jobs since his inauguration in January 2021. An 80-year-old who leads an international alliance against Russia in its war on Ukraine. An 80-year-old whose leadership reassures a world that worries about America if he isn't re-elected. But leave it to Democrats and gleeful Republicans willing to exacerbate their latent anxiety to want to ditch a successful team because he's old. Biden and Harris are in the jobs now, calling on them to abandon a reelection campaign they've already begun in earnest is beyond foolish. But what's even more troubling than the dump old Joe wave is the ferocious kick Kamala to the curb undertow. How dare we see what I'm getting at? It's like, uh, here's a defense of Biden. Here's a defense of Biden. Here's a defense of Biden. And then the real scandal, the kick Kamala Harris to the curb, undertow. Uh, 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 well, it's just that's my point that I'm making here. That's the real obstacle. Never in a million years are you going to get a group of Democrats together that make any decisions, I mean this to the superdelegates, et cetera, and say, yeah, you know what we're going to do right now is we're going to replace Joe Biden with Kamala Harris. Uh, No, no, I tell you, I know what they're going to do. They'll look to get Biden reelected in 24 on the Kamala, you know, Biden-Kamala ticket and then replace Kamala. Well, they'd need the you know they'd need the consent of the Senate, but it's doable. They could do that, but they're not going to. They will lose Democratic voters, and that's why Jonathan Capehart, who's a Washington Post associate editor and an MSNBC host, so a dutiful regime spokesperson, um, you know, th- that's why he's he's saying this. Gotta always read between the lines, listen to what the real message is message is um, what's even more troubling than the dump old Joe wave is the ferocious kick Kamala to the curb 
undertow. Cannot do that. All right. There's a lot going on, folks. There's a lot cooking in the kitchen right now. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I tell you, it's a, it, what a time to be alive. Now, I'm, do you know we lost a fighter jet? Oh, not at the bottom of the ocean. Not, you know, someplace exotic. But uh, in South Carolina somewhere. That's right. The U.S. Marine Corps is asking for the public's help. Uh, yo, everybody, can you uh, help us find a missing F-35? Yeah, there's a search and recovery effort for the aircraft. Uh, is this the new normal? Is <laughs> I, You know what? Thank goodness the military is conducting DEI training. I hope that maybe that the airplane's diversity will help it be less discoverable. Um, well, there's there's an update, by the way, on the story. I, and, and, and Producer Robbie, did you see this? That, that apparently the military is grounding all aircrafts, which, which sounds wild. Uh, but so, somehow there's they're they're grounding all aircraft. There's there's something going on. It's a mess, folks. It's a mess. Yeah, the stealth capabilities. It's so good. It's not supposed to be stealth uh, to the you know to us. I guess is the is the point. Now, in other news, speaking of stealth, tell you who's not stealthy. The uh, semi brain dead senator uh, from Pennsylvania, uh, Fetterman. Yes, John Fetterman. He's the guy who had the stroke in the middle of the election and the media covered for him. He ends up getting elected, beating out uh, Dr. Oz, who was Trump's candidate. And uh, now he's the guy who's roaming around the Senate in shorts and a hoodie. And instead of telling him to put on a gosh damn coat and tie and button down shirt, what have they done in the Senate? Chuck Schumer has loosened the Senate's dress code to allow for this attire. Now, they can wear, senators can now wear whatever they want on the House, on the Senate floor, excuse me. The Senate Sergeant Arms and relevant staff have been thus informed, which means that Fetterman can wear his hoodies and look like a total hobo. So on top of being um, a vegetable, he's also uh, looks like a complete idiot. Um, well, there's one of my favorite quotes by a truly great American that maybe many of you have not heard of, Henry Segerstrom, who was a son of a lima bean farmer in California and a tremendously entrepreneurial man. He died a few years ago, uh, but I had the privilege of meeting him on a few occasions. And Henry Segerstrom was a, uh, a, a guy who built uh, a real estate empire basically off the off these lima bean fields in, in Orange County and built South Coast Plaza. Many of you, maybe some of you have been there uh, to Costa Mesa, South Coast Plaza, one of the preeminent shopping destinations in Southern California. And uh, Henry Segerstrom, you never see this guy not in a suit and tie. I, I'm, I'm almost convinced that he wore a tie to the beach. And Segerstrom would always say that casual dress promotes casual thinking and 
you know, I'm I'm good friends. Uh, fair disclosure here with his son, uh, and um, and he and uh, his wife are, are are wonderful people. We don't always agree politically, but um, I love them nev- nevertheless. And yeah, Anton uh, Anton, you won't see him not in a suit and tie either when he's working. Uh, and um, and I tell you, I just think that there is some value to dressing up. And certainly to have decorum in a place like the Senate. And and by the way, weren't these the same people that kept lecturing us during January 6th about the deterioration of the Senate, the, the House, Congress, that these, I mean, I know there's more to it, but they were so incensed by these hobos coming in, these un, unwashed masses coming in and uh, defiling these places that are so august and deserve so much respect. How many times did the Democrats tell us that it was these maggot intruders that defiled, literally defiled Congress? Now, the best part about this whole story is that the staffers, because you know, Democrats are, you know, they're they're politicians for the people. The staffers, the working schlubs that support the senators. They all still have to keep a dress code. It's just the senators that go and wear their Carhartt shorts. Um, Absolutely disgusting, and what a shame. I hope the Republicans clean this up when they come to power. All right, I'll be back tomorrow, folks. That's the music. Sam and Ash, Injury Law, sponsor of the What's Right Show, 702-820-1234. I'll see you here tomorrow when I come back.